Authors on the Air. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. James Latoile is a legend among those of us who spend our days trying to be storytellers. He's a former associate warden in a maximum security prison, a hostage negotiator, facility captain, and past director of California's state parole system. He's a nationally recognized expert witness and consultant on prison and jail operations. Jim's award-winning crime fiction includes Bury the Past, a 2018 finalist for Best Procedural Mystery of the Year. His latest black label is the story of a pharmaceutical executive who wakes up in a strange apartment and finds herself suspected of the murder of her company's CEO. On his website, Jim says, We all tend to view the world around us through the filters we carry. One person may see glitter, while I see shards of broken glass. We create our perception of the world based upon experiences, interactions, successes, and failures in life. My writing is influenced by the set of filters I have honed over my lifetime. Neither good nor bad. It's just my take on things. And it tends to be a bit darker than others. Before we meet him, let's take a taste of James Latwell's newest, Black Label. The bedroom where Julian did God only knows what was expensively furnished and decidedly masculine. Dark hues of burnished leather and deep mahogany dominated the space. A set of wooden horizontal blinds kept out some light, and in spite of her headache, curiosity demanded she open them. The window looked out over Huntington Park in Knob Hill, some of the priciest real estate in San Francisco. From her vantage point, Jillian figured the room sat on the sixth floor or higher and commanded a view of the gray slate-tile roof of Grace Cathedral and Mount Sutro off to the south. The condo, or whatever this place was, offered the resident one of those $10 million views everyone wanted, but few could afford. Jillian's salary as vice president of marketing for Dynalife Pharmaceutical wouldn't buy the dust in a place like this. Another wave of nausea buckled Jillian's knees. She grabbed onto a dresser near the window and braced herself for the queasiness past. As she opened her eyes, she focused on a silver-plated frame on top of the dresser. Jillian peered at the photograph of her own image, a picture of her with her boss, Jonathan Matson, the CEO of Dynalife Pharmaceutical. Confusion and panic clawed at Jillian's mind. Matson was 35 years her senior and married to one of the city's society matrons. Jillian supposed some women found him attractive with his swagger and the ease with which he flaunted his wealth. There were lines Jillian did not cross. Never, ever get involved with someone at work. And married men were off limits. What was she doing here, naked, in Matson's apartment? Had Jillian broken both rules? The thought of a relationship with Matson was unthinkable. The photograph meant they'd been together before. The two looked at ease with one another in the photo, and it hinted at a close, personal relationship. Her hand on his chest. When the hell was that taken? She had no recollection of an evening with Jonathan Matson, let alone posing for a photo. What have I done? 
James Latwell, welcome to the program. Thank you, Terry. Boy, you made that sound good. Thank you. <laughs> it is. It's great. There are so many twists and turns I could barely keep up. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it was a fun one to write. You write women so well. How do you channel great female characters? You and I have talked about this before. You write, you know, a strong female character. And there's something about that, Jillian in particular, that just, I wanted to show a, a person who really had to overcome every possible obstacle there was. Part of her uh, obstacles were she's a corporate executive in an all-male environment in the, in the boardroom. And it's just one more hurdle she has to come over. I've surrounded myself really all my life with very strong women as, as role models. Uh, I worked with women, uh, women in the prison uh, who are very strong, very direct, and kind of served as some of the, uh, the underpinnings for what Jillian and, and really Paula Newberry in, in the previous series were all about. And then I'm very careful with you know, who reads this before it goes to publication to make sure I captured something correctly and didn't you know, overstep or misstate. Because uh, I've got some early beta readers, including my wife, that would say, you know, no woman is ever going to say this. Or, <laughs> Thank goodness for those people, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Your life is so different today than it has been. But how would you describe who you are and what you do right now? I would describe myself as a, as a writer and, and struggling corgi wrangler. I mean, that's kind of been my life for the last 10 years since I've retired from uh, the prison world. It's completely different. And uh, I like this side of the walls a lot better than uh, the darkness and stuff that we went through before. You are one of the nicest guys in the business, and yet much of your career was spent in a profession where most of us would lose our faith in humanity. How do you stay centered in a crazy world? You can. And there were, there were times, to be honest, when you know, I kind of questioned what was going on in my life. But at least there for a period of time, there was very dark, violent place to, to work, and you learn to compartmentalize where, you know, all the violence and, and bloodshed and everything you saw on a day-to-day basis, you have to leave it at the gate. When you're done, you have to leave that behind. It's hard to do, and it st- does stick with you. Compartmentalization was kind of the thing I went for in my toolkit to keep me sane over the 30 years I was, you know, behind bars. Your early work seems to fall more into the police procedural genre, but Black Label is more of a psychological thriller. Why the change? I wanted to do something different. You know, I enjoyed the police procedurals, but there's something that's kind of routine about that. And I think the timing was right. We started to see a couple of years ago, this kind of social movement about uh, policing and what we're doing in, in society that kind of made me put procedurals kind of on pause for a little bit until I figured out where I wanted to go with that and, you know, include all of that stuff that's going on in society right now and do it the right way. I thought a, a nice standalone psychological thriller with, uh, you know, Jillian going through the ringer would be uh, a nice way to do that. And it was, it was really kind of fun to, to change gears. Author Kim House says Black Label delves into the murky world of pharmaceuticals where profit is prioritized above all else. Latoile creates a strong female lead in Julian Cooper. A woman who faces obstacle after obstacle, but still charges into the abyss, more unnerving than a fistful of amphetamines, unputdownable. You got to love hearing the words unputdownable associated with your writing. Oh, you do, especially when it comes from somebody like Kimberly Howe. James Latwell is our guest. His website is jamesledoile.com. His latest is Black Label, available in print and digital everywhere, easy to find on Amazon. 
You've said in other podcasts that your protagonists are composites of people you've met. How do you decide what dimensions to include when you create a character? I start with the characters first. Like, I'm going to have to live with this person for you know, a good part of a year putting it together. So I've got to be comfortable in, in their skin, basically. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the character, who I need to create, and what that person's about. I can't help but go back to the experiences that I had in, in prison or, or in the parole system where some of those character attributes were kind of like in your face. So I've stolen uh, character profiles from people that I worked with or inmates that I encountered. It's, it's been a nice little resource to draw back from. John Penley, one of your earlier protagonists, reminds me of a lot of cops that I know. Did you get to meet a lot of those people and make friendships during your long career in the prison system? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure did. I, I had one, one particular assignment. Well, it was when I was uh, working with the Pearl Division, uh, where we liaison with local you know, sheriff's departments and police departments. And I spent a lot of time with the Sacramento Police Department. And there was one guy in particular, one officer that... Uh, we became pretty close, and he was a canine handler. I didn't include that part in Pinley's background, but a lot of the characteristics of Pinley and his relationship with his wife and all that kind of stuff are that guy. You have some of that in the family, too. I understand you have a daughter who's in law enforcement? Yep. My daughter is a uh, probation officer here in uh, the same county that I live in. My dad was a career uh, Department of Corrections guy. He was a lieutenant uh, when he retired. Uh, my brother was an LAPD detective, so it kind of just... That's what we do, I guess. What was that career conversation like with your daughter? She told me that she's never going to go to Sacramento State University, and she's never going to do law enforcement. And she ended up doing both of those. <laughs> so it, it's, it's something I remind her of every once in a while. But no, she's, she's done really, really well. And uh, you know, she kind of keeps me current on what's going on in, in some of the, the probation world. And, and she's one of my first readers for, uh, for my novels to make sure I kind of capture that that aspect of the work. As a corporate guy, I was very impressed with the accuracy with which you described the pharmaceutical business and corporate life in general. How did you research that dimension of the book? A couple of different ways. In terms of the, the corporate you know, boardroom aspects and that kind of thing, I, even though I was in the state side, I did a lot of contract work with corporations and organizations where you'd go in and meet the board and you know, kind of negotiate contracts. So I got a taste of it there. In terms of the pharmaceutical side, you'd be surprised what you could get when you go to your doctor for a $15 copay. They don't just do your blood pressure. You can talk about anything. I did that in a couple of books now where it, it had a medical tie-in that, uh, and they're more than willing to talk to you about, you know, their, their residency and organ transplants or, or in this case, pharmaceuticals and what's, what's coming in, what's coming out and how they get, have access to them. James Littwell is our guest. He's the author of At What Cost? Bury the Past, Little River, The Other Side of Paradise, and his latest Black Label. Many of our listeners are just beginning their journey as writers. Tell us how the writing bug bit you. I think about this a lot. I didn't really start writing fiction until after I retired. So that was, you know, kind of late in life. I'm not like some of the folks that, you know, you go to conferences and hear, you know, they started writing when they were 10 and they've got, you know, 58 books now and they're 20. That's not me. When I started to think about it, one of my earliest jobs was a, as a probation officer. And I would write pre-sentence investigations for the, the sentencing judge. So I'd go to the jail, talk to the inmate, you know, get his version of the offense that he'd been convicted of, talk to the arresting officers, read the reports, talk to the victims, get their side of it. And I'd kind of combine that all up into a pre-sentence report for the judge. I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was writing crime stories back then. 
you know, getting all this information, cobbling it together and creating one hopefully coherent narrative, you know, for the sentencing judge. So that kind of gave me my feeling of confidence that, okay, you've done something like this before, so you could try to do this. I tried my hand at it. And, uh, you know, after a few struggles, and there's still a couple of manuscripts in my bottom drawer that will never, ever (laughs) see the light of day, but uh, it finally started a hook. So how did you learn the craft? I read a lot, and and I read differently when I knew I wanted to write. Uh, So I'd kind of look at it forensically, you know, like, who does a really good job at dialogue and who does character descriptions and, uh, you know, develops that character with layers. And, and, and you'd find those authors and you kind of study how they do it. And, you know, that helped a lot. Then I went to a few craft conferences. There's one in Northern California that is, is a killer one. It's the Book Passage Mystery Writers Conference. I mean, they bring in, you know, people like Michael Conley, Robert Craze, you know, Don Winslow. Jacqueline Winspeard, Kara, Kara Black, and you're just sitting there in this kind of intimate environment and you just talk and they tell you all their secrets, basically, of you know how they got to do what they're doing. Uh, I've returned back there a couple of years as faculty on the conference and it's, it's really fun to see that it just keep going. And I hope post-COVID now that we're able to continue that again. So let's go down that list a little bit. Who's your favorite for dialogue? Conley does a great job in, in procedural dialogue. I love that. And that's, you know, obviously translated well for him, you know, on, on film and, and uh, television. Karen Slaughter does a wonderful job. Bruce Coffin, uh, he does a really, really good job. You can just, you can almost smell that character, you know, the way he puts <laughs> the words on the page. He's, he's really phenomenal. And all those people are on Facebook and they will friend you, friends. So if you're out there, <laughs> how about plotting? Who do you like that knows how to put plots together well? There's so many. I mean, one that I've come with, uh, come away with recently is Karen Dion with, uh, you know, the Marsh King's daughter, just a really, really tight plot. Great Michigan writer. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she's, uh, she's phenomenal. Uh, then you've got Hank Philippi Ryan who does uh, her, her standalone thrillers. And, and they're just, they just keep you guessing the whole, the whole way. And most recently, and it, she's kind of a newer writer, it's uh, Samantha Downing. She broke through with her debut just out of the box, uh, My Lovely Wife, the serial killer, you know, husband and wife, basically. And it, you just keep guessing the whole way with that thing. But it's really, really well done as her, her follow-ups. James Latwell is our guest. He's the author of Black Label. That's the book we're talking about today. He's also written for three anthologies. The latest is The Eviction of Hope, released in May. Yeah, the eviction from hope. My story in there, I think, was Billy's plan. You know, I write short some, some short stories. Without fail, every one of them pulls from my background again. For example, Billy's plan. The whole story with Billy is, is you know, he's getting kicked out of this hotel and needs a place to go, and the only place he knows is prison. So he tries to go back to prison, and he can't. And, and everything just gets getting into way, and he he can't get back to prison, and he needs to get back to prison. Uh, and basically, that came out of a, a situation that I that I ran across in prison, where inmates with HIV couldn't get the treatment they needed in the community, so they would purposely violate parole so they could go back inside to the, uh, get the medical treatment that they needed. You're also an expert witness. What kind of people call you for what kind of cases, and what do you say on the stand? Yeah, well, it depends what the case is. Uh, I mean, I've been called for everything from um, inmate employment to inmate classification uh, that uh, they were alleging that, you know, somebody was misclassified and put in a more stringent, you know, secure environment than they needed to be. Um, and I've done use of force uh, testimony and then uh, 
um, inmate programming, what kind of programming is available for inmates. James Latwell is the guy we're talking to. J-A-M-E-S-L-E-T-O-I-L-E.com is his website. Black Label is his latest book. There are so many twists and turns in Black Label. How do you come up with those and decide where to put them? That's been kind of a, a fun thing for me to kind of discover. I, you know, every book that I write, I, I hope I'm getting better and better. Um, I mean, that's, that's the, the idea anyway. And I've moved away from being a plotter, and I'm more of an intuitive writer now. You know, you hear stories, Terry, when you go to conferences about, you know, people that plot, and they have like 15-page Excel color-coded spreadsheets, and, you know, that ain't me. I thought I had to do that, but it was just, it took the fun out of it, really. It wasn't fun to write that way. So now, I, once I know who the characters are, and I've, I've lived with them a little bit in my head for a while, and I know what the basic story question is going to be, the big what if, what if you wake up in an apartment, you don't know where you were kind of thing. And you write from that. It's a lot more fun to do it. And it leaves me open to, oh, this would be a good place to do this. And you put a, a twist in or a, you know, a complication and make Jillian's life just that much more difficult. And <laughs> that's kind of where, where I've come from and, and to. And I, I like writing this way a lot more. It's a lot more fun. Do your characters talk to you? They kind of do. Yeah. Usually when I'm walking around the block, when I'm trying to muddle <laughs> over, you know, what to do next, they'll tell me what they want to do. So I kind of, kind of go with that. Have you ever been stuck? Ever had writer's block? Not really writer's block. I've had, I, I'm, I'm listening to, to my, my guess the, the writer voice a little bit more and saying, you know, if there's a block there, that means that particular plot point isn't working, you know, move it to somewhere else or do something else. But no, in terms of being blocked, no, if, if I'm really locked up on a, on a scene that I can't quite figure out, I'll move on. And, you know, you kind of put a, put a little period there, a little post-it note and come back to that later. And then nine times out of 10, you'll be a couple of chapters in and say, ah, that's where I needed to do, you know, that. And you go back and put that in. You've worked with multiple publishers. How did you become associated with them? Yeah, uh, actually three, uh, three publishers. Uh, the first for Little River was, I mean, a very, very, very small publisher. And uh, it was just kind of a acquaintance. And I didn't even know she was in publishing. And, you know, we started talking about that. And she said, oh, well, let's, let's do something. So, you know, that's how Little River came to life. Uh, with uh, At What Cost and Bury the Past, it was more of a, a standard traditional model. Uh, you know, my agent. Uh, found the con found the the uh the publisher and, and for that we were just marketing at what cost and they uh they wanted a two book series out of that so we we did that with them and um most recently with uh level best books uh i've known sean riley simmons for a long time and we've just never had the chance to to do anything together and i think it was at a voucher con or something that we kind of looked at each other and said why why aren't we you know doing this so uh, yeah she she picked up a black label and also um a three book series starting next year uh that deals with um immigration and things in the desert southwest where where crime can be really hot and fun sean's a terrific person how important is the chemistry aspect of your relationship with the publisher oh i think it's 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 key it's absolutely key i mean um you know, someone like Sean, uh, 
you know, she can really help guide you to, you know, what you what you need to do. And she's got a great history with, you know, her, her own publishing, but then with the uh, with the, the publishing company now, uh, she can kind of, you know, help guide you and direct that that book where it needs to go and what happens happens there. Uh, I think it's really important to have that kind of uh, relationship with and trust with, you know, who you're working with. James Latwell is our guest. We're talking the business of books. How did you find your agent? Yeah, um, I found found my agent uh, at Book Passage at that Mystery Writers Conference we, we talked about. There was an agent panel, uh, and they talked about how they represent and what they do, and you know the kind of relationships they they have with uh, with their writers. And uh, never let anybody tell you that stalking is a bad thing. So basically, I stalked uh, Liz Cracked around Book Passage that that weekend until she was backed into a corner and had to talk to me. Uh, so, so, uh, yeah, we just kind of, you know, talked about, you know, what I was working on and, um, uh, she liked the, the elevator pitch that I kind of had in my back pocket and, um, yeah, she said, send it to me and, uh, I did and we did and off it, off we went. There was a lot of serendipity involved. There was a lot of, uh, right place, right time. You know, she had just, uh, just talked about, you know, uh, how she reps agents and, or how she reps writers and what what her philosophy is. And that at the time that kind of rung a bell with me and was comfortable with it. That's what I was looking for. And yeah, right place, right time. What was the elevator pitch? Do you remember it? Oh yeah. Uh, it was for at what cost. So it was, it was a, a real quick one was we've got uh, a detective who is hunting serial killers who seem to be harvesting their victims organs. And at the same time, his son uh, needs a kidney transplant. So the detective has to make a decision. Does he hunt down the killer and bring him to justice? Or does he make a deal with the killer to get the organ that his son needs to live? And what happened next? We looked at uh, a couple of, uh, you know, revisions of that manuscript. And then, yeah, we did a contract. And then um, really quick turnaround on getting, getting Crooked Lane at that point to, to bite on the, on, the, on the offer. I think within a week, you know, it, which is kind of unheard of. Usually it takes months and months to get a response back if you get one at all. But uh, yeah, this was really quick. Uh, I was really fortunate to get that. What kind of revisions did she suggest? Liz likes uh, characters, really layered characters, you know, making sure you bring that out in the, in the story. Um, there wasn't a lot we needed to do with that what cost. It was pretty, it's pretty much there. I think a lot of it was tightening it up um, and not knowing at that point early in my career what, uh, what some of the, you know, I call them hot words now, things that I overuse and crutches and that kind of stuff that, you know, I didn't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And at that point, I think that was new to me. So I kind of did that kind of a revision to clean it up, tighten it up and just make it the best I could before it went out the door. What are the tools you use to create your prose? Um, I like Scrivener. I, I use Scrivener um, almost all the time for first drafts. Um, you know, I'll, it, I like the way you can just, you know, focus on that. You can move things around. You can, you know, have little character descriptions like, you know, all your main characters, and you can drop down and say, okay, this person said this or does that or has this little quirk and you can make sure that you bring that you know forward in the book that's helpful um and then i like the way you can just uh you know import it you know 
download it directly into Word because that's what you know all the publishers that I've worked with want is their final product. And you can do that and you don't lose any any formatting or anything else. So it's been it's been it's been good. I, I use that almost exclusively. And it resides can reside in the cloud too, so that you can take it with you on your smart device. Do you find yourself ever writing on your phone or on your tablet? Not on my phone, but on my uh, laptop and iPad, I do. And yeah, I use the uh, the cloud backup for Scrivener, and I'm I'm good to go. So it, it's it's quite handy. What's a typical day like in your life as a writer? Um, I get up early, um, not because I want to, but because the dogs want me to. Uh, so I have a corgi wake up call usually about five thirty. Um, they demand to go outside and eat, and then they crash, and then uh, we'll take a walk. And after that, I'll come back and just sit down and, and start writing usually for, you know, till about noon. Um, that way I can get a good chunk of time in the, in the morning done and, and devoted to writing. Uh, but if I try to create more than that, um, I tend to get a little mush-minded and things just don't kind of go together as well. So I, I do that. So on the afternoon is more the business side of, you know, social media and, you know, all that kind of thing that you need to do. You do a great job on social media. How did you decide which platforms to engage on? You know, that's been kind of something that um, my first publisher drug me to social media. Um, I mean, here I was, you know, in my 50s, and it was like, social media? Isn't that for like Aston Kutcher? And you know, what's, <laughs> yeah. he, what's he having for breakfast? Uh, you know, I, you know, had no intention of getting on Facebook and Twitter and that kind of. But yeah, actually, it's been, it's been quite handy, especially, you know, now that we've been locked down this year. That's been a lot of our contact is, is you know, outside of Zoom, it's, you know, just keeping in touch with people and what, uh, what's going on in their lives. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and then, uh, you know, I've got the blog on, on WordPress. But, uh, yeah, Instagram is a newer one for me. And uh, I had a publicist snag me at a, at a conference. She actually grabbed my phone out of my hand and downloaded Instagram for me, says, you need to do this, you know? So, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. That, so, yeah, they, I, I went kicking and screaming, but I'm, I'm there. James Latwell is our guest. Black Label is the book. You interview Jillian as a protagonist in your blog. It's a fascinating conversation. Well, it was, it was a blog that uh, uh, came about. I, I'm doing a Partners in Crime uh, blog tour, and... One of the guest posts that uh, they offered was, you know, you can even interview a character if you want. So I, I, okay, you know, that that sounds fun. So I'll interview Jillian and kind of get her take on what happened to her in the in the story. And uh, she's a little miffed at me for, for what she went through. <laughs> I have to say that. Do you think there are more Jillian stories to be told? There, I never say never. Uh, it was written as a standalone, but uh, I could see where there could be some residual that could come back and cause cause her to have another story in there. Best advice you ever received as an author? What was it? Really, just don't give up. I mean, th- this business um, can grind you down if you're not you're not aware of it. Um, I mean, there's so much uh, rejection, and it, it seems very, very personal, and it's not. It's a, it's a business. I mean, um, publishers and agents will reject your work, and it, it feels very personal, but it's not. It's, it's their business, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to sell, 
they don't have time to explain their direction and their strategic plan to you, you know, Mr. Little Author guy with your manuscript. But um, yeah, it, it feels personal, but it's not. It's not. I think what helped me early on is when I back to kind of writing those pre-sentence reports for the sentencing judge. Um, you'll never have a harsher critic than a defense attorney whose client you've just recommended go away for 25 to life. Kirkus may write tough reviews, but that kind of prepared me to accept, you know, some of the criticisms and rejections coming my way. Why do you write? I enjoy it. I mean, when I started writing, it was very therapeutic for me. After leaving that prison environment uh, where, you know, every day was just, you know, violence and, you know, in your face and just dehumanizing. And then when you worked in a, even in an administrative role like the director of parole, the political aspects of it and going to the governor's office, you know, trying to explain, you know, why people go to the prison to the governor. Uh, it's it's like it's just not fun anymore. And it, it just drug you down. So this was very therapeutic. Uh, in doing uh, writing fiction, and my first two books took a lot of those people that uh, I had those issues with, and uh, they didn't fare well in those books. And it was very therapeutic to see them c- get their just desserts that way. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been uh, I think a good thing for me emotionally, mentally, and uh, yeah, I enjoy it, and I hope I continue to do it. If you could go back and talk to your 16 year old self, well, what yeah. advice would you give to that person? Because my 16-year-old self was a bit of a geek, you know, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't really fit in anywhere. Uh, it wasn't that great of an athlete. I usually made the team, but did a lot of bench time kind of, kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I think the same thing would apply. Just, uh, you know, don't give up. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there ahead of you, and you don't know what it is yet. But there's good things waiting for you. Resilience. That's the magic word in life, isn't it? It is. James Latwell, how can people find you? You can find me at my website at uh, jameslatwell.com or like we mentioned, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, James Latwell or author James Latwell on any of those platforms. Through all the interviews you've done, has there ever been a question that you wish you had been asked? There was a question asked once that I thought was a really good one. And it was at a left coast crime conference, you know, a couple of years ago. And it was, the question was, uh, what won't you write? And that one just brought me back to, you know, some, some really bloody incidents we had in prison. And there, some of those things, I mean, even today you think about it and it's like, man, that, that was really, really tough. Um, you know, there was a, an officer stabbed uh, and we carried him through the, the dining room to, to the hospital. And the dining room was packed with about 200 inmates and they stood up and cheered. And it was like, you know, this could get real ugly real fast. Uh, so, you know, things like that um, are still a little too, too raw, even though it's been, you know, a dozen years or more. Uh, so some of those things, yeah, I can't, I can't, can't do it. Can't write that. Is there another genre you'd be interested in writing in that's outside of mystery and police procedural? Yeah, I'm playing with a couple right now. Uh, one is a speculative fiction uh, kind of thing. Not quite paranormal, but it's going to cut that element to it. Uh, it's the one I mentioned where I talked to the, to the fire department to get a little background. 
I have a fireman who loses his eyesight uh, in a fire, and uh, he recovers through a very experimental surgery of an eye transplant, and he starts seeing the visions and auras from his donor. And the donor actually guides him through the investigation to find out who lit the fire that uh, you know caused him damage. A fascinating conversation. James Latwell, thanks so much for joining us on Authors on the Air. It's been a great pleasure. That's my pleasure, Terry. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pablo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter. 